to encourage you, to equip you, and to empower you to fulfill God's divine destiny for your life. Hello there. Glad you're joining me today for another podcast. My name is Jen Tringale, and I'm just so delighted to spend a little bit of time with you, encourage you, hopefully fuel your faith about what God is doing in your life, what He's called you to do, and help you walk in that to a greater degree. I just appreciate this time. Hopefully you are settled into a comfy place. Maybe you've got a cup of coffee or you're driving down the road, but I just believe that this time we have together would just speak to your heart. I am really just taken lately with what's happening in this time that you and I are living in, in the sense that it's just a weekly occurrence that history is being made in our lifetime. And I'm kind of taken with it because in talking with some older relatives of mine, I have a grandmother that I'm really close to and some others as well. And they kind of pointed out the fact recently to me that it didn't always used to be this way, that it used to be that there would be a pretty good expanse of time before something, an event happened or something was accomplished or something was done that was history making. But you and I know a different reality. In our lifetime, history is being made on such a reoccurring basis, practically weekly, sometimes multiple times through the week, that it is just a common thing that you and I live with. Now, when you stop and think about it, these history-making headlines are happening to the positive but sometimes they're happening to the negative too, and heartbreakingly so. You know, just in the last two weeks that I'm thinking of, some heartbreaking history-making headlines, there was an unprecedented number of church bombings across Indonesia. Now, these were Christian churches. This was a planned attack. So many Christian churches, families, communities are still recovering from this what was a terrorist attack just heartbreaking to see, but it was unprecedented in nature. It was history making. And then, of course, right here in the United States, you know, we watched another heartbreaking school shooting that took place in Santa Fe, Texas. You know, it used to be that that was a shocking headline. And it's sad to say, you know, that now we just really look to see where this one took place. It's heartbreaking to witness that. And so it's obvious that the world we live in needs a lot of prayer. But history is also being made to the positive. Just in the last two weeks, the world sat and watched as history was being made as the United States Embassy celebrated its opening in the capital of Israel in Jerusalem. It was the first time in over 70 years that Jerusalem being Israel's capital Capital was acknowledged. And it was tremendous to see. I loved just hearing the speeches. And there was a remark that President Netanyahu made in his speech at that ceremony, where he said, by recognizing history, you have made history. I just loved that statement. And so history is being made. Certainly, it takes a lot of faith to live in a time where history is being written all the time. It really takes living in the supernatural. But then history was also made just this past weekend as the world watched. I had friends that got up at 3 a.m. 
to watch the royal wedding that took place there in London in the United Kingdom. And I was one that kind of watched it after the fact. I enjoyed my sleep. But it was just amazing to watch so beautiful that ceremony. And again, history being made on so many levels. But I was listening as the commentators, you know, were sort of talking about it on the news. And one of them made this statement, and it was just pretty funny to me. And it was just one of those oxymorons. And so, you know, the statement that was made was, you know, they were going on and on about the royal wedding and the choices that the bride and groom had made. And so the commentator made this statement and said, you know, they just wanted it to be a small and intimate royal wedding. And I just kind of tilted my head and I thought, uh, are we looking at the same images? Because there is nothing small nor intimate about a royal wedding. It was absolutely in the class of an oxymoron that was being made. I mean, this thing was gigantic. But it got me thinking about some of those, you know, oxymorons that are more common in our culture. A few of them that I just thought of was, you know, like when people say they are clearly confused. Okay, well, you can't be necessarily clearly confused. And then a lot of times people will say, that is almost exactly what I was trying to say. Almost exactly. Another oxymoron. I love this one. Well, it was confidential, but now it's pretty much an open secret. Yeah, never tell any of your deepest, darkest secrets to somebody who believes open secret is a reality. Probably not a safe place to confide. How about this one? They experienced a crash landing. Yeah, nothing I never really want to be a part of. Here's another one we often refer to an event in history, which we call the Great Depression. I know my little Southern grandmother always says, uh, I lived through the Depression and there was nothing great about it. There's a group that's known as Hell's Angels. I'm not really sure how that works. I totally do not believe in this. People will say, yeah, I really need to take some time off. And so next week I've scheduled a working vacation. Totally not reality. This is another one I'm also adamantly against, decaf coffee. Okay, maybe a lot of people don't uh, refer to that as an oxymoron, but to me, decaf coffee, I mean, like what? What is even the point? And then this is a new one, and I just cried laughing at this, all natural Cheetos. Pretty sure that's just a full-blown oxymoron. So I got to thinking about these, and there's been something kind of rolling in my heart that I believe there are a couple of oxymorons that can exist in our walk with God, in our journey with God, and living a path of destiny that I want to talk about. The first one that I want to mention is something called a false sense of peace, a false peace and sort of this idea that it is possible that you and I can sort of fall into without realizing it, living in a false sense of peace. And here's what I mean by that. It's a false sense of peace in the sense that we have perpetuated a peace merely by whatever brings comfort to our flesh. So it's not a real peace made of anything real. It, it might feel peaceful, but it's actually just what is comforting to our flesh. And I'm bringing this up because of this. Living in this place of a false sense of peace can be so dangerous to your destiny and so dangerous to your life's calling, dangerous to things that you feel meant to do or drawn to do. And here's why. 
because it will almost subconsciously influence you to steer clear of anything that would ignite the unknown or might potentially place a demand on your deepest reservoirs of faith and strength and endurance. So this is why this can be so dangerous. You know, an opportunity might come up, something that's maybe out of the box or really challenges you or something you've never done before. And we'll kind of give ourselves an out of really even considering it, even really meditating on it in our heart or even, you know, bringing that before the Lord in our heart. We'll just kind of throw it aside and say, you know what? I just don't really have a peace about that. When in actuality, it's our flesh that feels entirely uncomfortable about it. And here's why this is something that we need to watch out for. It is actually a proven fact. Psychologists will tell you that just in our humanity alone, that we will actually repeat the cycle of a known negative before we will grab on to an unknown positive. So I'm going to say that to you again. Psychologists have told us, this is a proven fact, that humanity by itself, outside of the influence of the Lord and and Jesus living in your heart, outside of the influence of anything else directing you another way, it's actually proven that humanity will actually gravitate to repeating something that's negative before they will gravitate to something that is positive but unknown. And why is this? It's because the unknown, even if it's a good thing, is so uncomfortable to our flesh because we don't know it. And it leaves us outside of the realm of control. But here's the situation. As people of destiny, as people that are called to things, that are meant to do things, that are being drawn to certain things that we are meant to fulfill in our lives, we were made for going after things and taking hold of things courageously by faith. I mean, you and I were actually made to be known as audaciously bold people of strength And that is because of Jesus living on the inside of us. The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel that we were made to do exploits. You know, when you think about the word exploits, these are not the type of experiences that are defined as what you would call peace-filled expeditions. Exploits are exactly that. They are exploratory because there is a lot of unknown. And in the unknown, in uncharted waters, there are so many opportunities for you to just, you know, pull the plug on an exploit and say, you know what? I am turning around and going back. But if we are people that are made to do exploits, to accomplish them, to fulfill them, then we cannot be people that easily draw back. We have to be courageous and bold and push forward. The truth is, is, as a person of destiny, you are called as a deeply passionate person. This is what I mean by this. A deeply passionate person lives and does everything out of their heart, not out of the comfort of what is comfortable to their flesh. As believers, We were actually made to care the most. We were made to feel things deeply on the inside of us. We were made to be so moved with compassion over what we see with the eyes of our heart that it pushes us to push through opposition and to act boldly. Because listen to this, you were made to instigate change. 
And if you're made to instigate change, then you better believe that you're going to have to begin instigating change in your own life and in your own world. There's actually a Bible version of peace. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus himself, you know, he was called the Prince of Peace. And then if you really think about it, though, everywhere he went, he disrupted the current version of peace and literally threw his surroundings into a temporary chaos. Why did he do this? He was a peacemaker. But listen, peacemakers can actually be outright volatile. Because a lot of times, in order to have real peace, you have to disrupt a false sense of peace. You know, as a Westerners, as, you know, Americans in our American culture, in our Western culture, if you really want to, it doesn't take a lot to live an undisturbed life. I mean, you can easily carry on in a false sense of peace for quite a while. And it, it doesn't really take a lot. I mean, let me just paint this picture. If you have just a decent, reasonable amount of money and you don't have, you know, very extravagant taste, if you don't watch a lot of news, if you avoid getting too deeply involved in really anything or with anybody, you know, you just kind of do your thing, show up at work, go home, live your life. Don't get really involved with, you know, relationships, friendships, family. So nobody else's deal disrupts you. Even if you go to church, but you just don't get involved. If you're involved in whatever, hobbies, community groups, but you just stay pretty nominally to yourself, you can go about your life staying in shallow places. And maybe other than like, an occasional traffic jam, you could literally live almost all of your days in an undisturbed sense of peace. But listen, this would only be peaceful to your flesh, to your humanity. But I don't know about you, but that version of life, just merely living undisturbed, is not one of my life goals. I mean, I just, I really believe that deep within each of us, when we really get down to what matters in life, we find that we want to be disturbed by what matters. We want to be disturbed by things that require change. We want to be disturbed by seeing a need and looking on the inside of us and saying, I think I can contribute to the answer to meeting that need. As Christians, as believers, as people of faith, I think we want to be disturbed by what is on the heart of our Father God. I want to be disrupted by a vision that He's placed on the inside of me that compels me every day of my life. And in the big picture, I think we want to be disturbed by what is happening in the generations that we are called to be a part of and to affect and to lead in. If I am undisturbed, I'm really not going to feel a need for change. And what does this mean? Well, the whole cold hard truth is I'm going to slip slowly into total and complete ineffectiveness. And I don't know about you, but that is just not a state that I can live in. So before we get stuck in a place, 
because we are wrestling and jousting and pushing back everything that disrupts our lives and just throwing it in this category of I don't have peace about it, quote unquote. Maybe let's stop and remember that making peace can sometimes mean temporarily having what feels like chaos. Something must disrupt and confront the current state of things so that you and the Holy Spirit in you can get things in a new order. You can become productive and fruitful and successful, not someday, but today. And it's all waiting on you and I confronting a false sense of peace. What does this mean? This means that, you know, words can come to your heart from the Spirit of God within you that to be honest, can sound unsettling at first. They will call your attention to whatever has stopped you from progressing. Now, this can be on multiple levels because you are a multifaceted being. I mean, if you and I get honest with ourselves, our heart and God, the spirit of God on the inside of us, he will confront places in us that need change in the physical. He will confront them in our soul, in the emotional He will confront them in our thinking and the way we think, in our attitudes. You just got to get real about this. Like he will confront them in how you deal with confrontation. He will confront them if you are a competitive person. He will confront them if you are a complacent person. Anything that is hindering your progress and you operating in what God put on the inside of you to be and to give, if you'll let him God within you will confront that. And he won't just confront it. He doesn't just leave us there, but he shows you what needs to change. And then he gives us the power to do it. Now, if you're anything like me, when this process happens and something sort of comes to light, comes to reality in me or in my life, and I go, oh my word, I I have got to change that. It is so wrong that I've been reacting that way, living this way, you know, operating this way, thinking this way, whatever it is, the next thought that I have is, well, if I'm going to change this, then what am I going to replace it with? And the deal is the temptation can be to just simply do nothing because we don't have an immediate answer for that question. What am I going to replace it with? But then that is how pruning happens, isn't it? I mean, first you cut and you remove something So that then and only then the new can spring forth. You know, just recently with spring kind of coming late, I think across the country, and it certainly hit late where I live. It was just recently that I had a little bit of time off and I got so excited about planting flowers at my house. I'm hardly ever home. So when I'm home, I just enjoy it so much. And I've got a beautiful backyard area surrounded by magnolia trees. And I was just so excited about making it pretty and just being able to sit out there. And so I had about five days off and I I just blew up Home Depot and got all these flowers and had the best time just getting my hands dirty and planting it. And to me, I have created a botanical gardens. I mean, it is really not all that, but to me, it was just a huge, a huge deal. And so I have discovered though, that after the fun of planting is over, man, it takes a lot of work to keep that up. And so one of the things I have found out that 
you know, I have my little routine now where I have to go out and check the soil and, you know, see if it needs to be watered. But then the other thing I have to do is go out there and I have to do the pruning because if they're going to keep producing, then that pruning has to happen. Those old dried up buds have got to be plucked off so that that new can come forth. And it's exactly how it is in our lives. There are places where we have been reticent in a false sense of peace. And God's going, I need you to pull that out. And if you'll pull it out, I'm going to show you what's going to grow and become new in its place. There's sort of an example of this process of sort of confronting false peace to bring real peace and sort of allowing a temporary sense of chaos. And it comes actually in the economical arena. There's a world-round economist. His name is Joseph Schumpeter. He is actually called the father of this economic concept called creative destruction. What is creative destruction? It's the theory that innovation sustains growth by destroying old ways of doing things. Innovation sustains growth by destroying old ways of doing things. So the creative destruction is in essence that in order for things to grow or to succeed or to become something they are not yet, before that creativity can take place, there's actually a creative destruction. In other words, it's destroying what is present so that the creativity of the new can follow in its way, creative destruction. And you know, we can see this principle in this concept in the book of Matthew when Jesus talked about blessed are the peacemakers because those that are willing to make peace, to confront what needs to be confronted, to destroy what needs to be destroyed so that a real peace can take root what does the Bible say? He said, these are called the sons of God. Because in essence, that's exactly what Jesus came to do. There's another verse I want to give you in the book of Jeremiah. And this is in chapter 31 and verse 28. And there's a lot reverberating in this verse that really resembles this theory of creative destruction. Listen to this. This is the NIV version. It says, this is the Lord talking, and he says, Just as I watched over them to uproot and to tear down and to overthrow and to destroy and to cause total disaster, so I will also watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. How interesting is it that the destruction comes before the construction? that the tearing down comes before the growth. The reality is that we are called to effectively affect the world we're living in. But if we are going to accomplish that, then we are going to have to be willing to endure a new disruption. And this is a disruption to the way things have been because we can now see the confines we have been living in. All of a sudden, once you can see it, and we've all been there at different places in our life, once I can see that it's confining me, I can no longer put up with it. Once I realize that it's not real peace, it's false peace, it's not enough for me because something in me is calling me to be a peacemaker, to build lasting peace. Let me say this to you, realizing there is a ceiling over your head that is keeping you from going up 
This is exactly where you find the courage to rise up and say to yourself and even to each other, you know what? I I can't stay here. We, you and I cannot stay here because we know there is more. I'm going to wrap this up with a story in Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah was living in a really peculiar space of time that they really were calling out for answers. And this is found in Jeremiah chapter 28, and it really tells this tale. So the story goes that a general assembly had been called by the spiritual leaders of that time because they really needed to hear from the Lord about what they were to do. And the situation was that the king of Babylon had gotten so oppressive And he had actually taken a portion of the kingdom into slavery. So there was a good portion of the children of God that were actually living in total slavery. And so they came together to hear what they needed to do about should they confront this state of things and do something about it. And so in this gathering, they had called the leading prophets of the day, namely Jeremiah was there. And there was another prophet that the Bible names and his name was Hananiah. Hananiah was notably one of the younger prophets that had been called together, and Jeremiah was more or less one of the most senior-ranking prophets. And so when the meeting began, the story goes that Hananiah was the very first to pop up to want to speak. And when he popped up to his feet, he gave a, a pretty serious charge. And this is what Hananiah, the young prophet said, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, he went on to say, all of the captives of Judah that are in Babylon are going to be returned. After that, he said a few things and he sat down. As the prophet Jeremiah stood to respond to this, this word Hananiah had given that was a total promise of peace, this prophetic word of this sovereign act of peace the Lord was going to initiate, you can almost hear the hesitation in Jeremiah's words in his reply. Listen to how he responded to this. He stood to his feet and he said, Amen. The Lord do so and all that you have said, Hananiah, but nevertheless, hear this word that I speak in your ears and in the ears of all the people. The prophets have been before me and before you of old. They have prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil. So the prophet which prophesies of peace When the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord truly sent him. You know, in his reply, you can almost gain the sense that Jeremiah is sort of giving Hananiah like a second chance to make sure he's really wanting to stand by this very aggressive word that he is claiming is pure and came from the Lord. He's kind of giving him an opportunity to maybe rein it in a little bit. But Hananiah stands to his feet and confidently declared, thus saith the Lord, even so. And so Jeremiah left it at that. Verse 11 through 15 says, then the prophet Jeremiah went his way and on his way home, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, go tell Hananiah, thus saith the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood, but you shall make them yokes of iron. 
Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make the people to trust in a lie. And the story goes on to say that Jeremiah prophesied his death. And in fact, Hananiah did die before that year was even over. You know, this story just reminds me of just sort of a cold, hard fact. And that is that people as individuals, we are always so grateful and ready to grab on to words of reprieve. I mean, words of peace that give us hope for works of peace are something all of us want to hear all the time. But, you know, in this story, Jeremiah had to confront the fact that these false words of peace actually put a fierce yoke on the people. And that's what living in a false sense of peace does. It puts a yoke on us. I'm going to talk about this in our next podcast. I'm really excited about this because I know that sometimes we can so easily live in this place, but you know, we can only live in a place where we're not growing, we're not reaching, we're not becoming for so long. And all of us get tired with it. I mean, from the smallest sense to the greatest sense, you know, if we've been living with realities that are less than who we know God intended for us to be, if we are living with long-term realities, that are less than what Jesus said he came to give us. What did he say? He said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. If we are willing to ask ourselves the hard questions of what are the long-term realities I have been living with that are less than what Jesus said he came to give me, which is life and life more abundantly, then I have to be willing to confront those places, those essentially places of a false sense of peace where I'm really living in an oxymoron because false peace is not real peace. And you know what? I want the real peace that Jesus came to give me. And so, you know what, God, I am willing to be a peacemaker. I am willing to confront false peace in my life so that I can have real peace, real shalom, where there is nothing missing and nothing broken. And I'm willing to do the work that that peace takes. Thank you so much for listening in today. Man, I just pray that this has encouraged you and helped you. I'm really excited about the second half of this podcast. I pray that you have some time to get in there and listen to it. And I just believe that God is challenging us, but equipping us, empowering us to go to a brand new place in life where we are living in a greater place of the abundant life that God gave us to live and we are truly making an impact. Thanks for listening in. I'm so glad you chose to be a part of these podcasts. I just appreciate any time that we get to spend together. Hey, have a great day. We'll see you back here soon. We're praying for you. We love you. Have a great week. Bye-bye.